Now, I'm sure by now you've heard me talk about the benefits of microdosing and how it's helped me and many other people with issues like anxiety and insomnia. Well, tonight's show is sponsored by Microdose Gummies. And Microdose Gummies deliver the perfect entry-level doses of THC and CBD for people who want the benefits of both without getting high from just one microdose. Yeah, I mentioned THC, but don't tense up. Microdose gummies are legal everywhere here in the United States. And while most hemp products focus exclusively on CBD, Microdose is formulated to deliver the classic effects and benefits of THC as well, in perfect balance with CBD, CBG, and therapeutic terpenes. Now, as a result, they help you feel relaxed. They can help ease tension, pain, and help you sleep at night. And they can also be great for creative flow and mood enhancement. Now, I especially love the taste of these gummies. You can tell they're made with real Oregon-grown berries. Now, Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code MONSTERSAMONGUS to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show notes, but again, that's microdose.com and the code MONSTERSAMONGUS. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. Now back to that strange hum all the neighbors are talking about. Good evening and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Listen. Can you hear them? The frogs, the crickets, the creatures of the night. Can you see that? That low-lying fog emanating from that near-glaciated snowbank left over from last month's storm. And did you notice the trees? They're slowly lurching out of their winter hibernation. Spring is in the air, and signs of life returning. Well, maybe not here. We still have three feet of snow on the ground here. But in most places, Spring has seemingly sprung, delivering a much-needed sense of renewal and rebirth to a stale, cookie-cutter existence. This often happens this time of year. But you know it's not all ducklings, daffodils, and dogwood blooms. For when the sun slips below the horizon each spring evening, winter's icy grasp quickly, albeit briefly, returns. A frigid pall that's cast upon the land. 
a stern reminder that death is always mere moments away, just beyond the sun's rays. Well, happy spring, everyone, and welcome back to another installment. I have a thrilling new episode drawn up for you guys this evening. A collection of calls certain to cause you to cower in concern. So without further hesitation, let's explore this evening's initial entry. Coming to us from the Lone Star State of Texas. Please join me in welcoming Leslie to the program. Derek. This is Leslie. I live in Texas. This story is actually something that happened to my mom. She actually just told me this story and I had to call it in. This was back when I was in high school. So around like 2011, around that time. She used to go out to Walmart kind of late when I was out on like school trips or things like that and she was home alone. This was, you know, pre-COVID when Walmart was open 24 hours. She said she was driving back home. She was in the Walmart parking lot crossing over to get out and she saw these three kids that were just standing in the parking lot just kind of walking around. It was almost midnight. She said it was like 11.50. It's not normal for kids to be walking around that late at night. And she said these kids looked so young. She said the oldest one was maybe, maybe 14. And the two younger ones were like 10 and 8. But they looked like siblings. They were dressed pretty normally, jeans and a t-shirt. But she said when she approached them, with her her mother instincts immediately were like, what are these kids doing? Can I help them? You know, she wanted to make sure they were okay and they were safe. When she approached them, she said they looked unnaturally young. Like she actually described them as very fair-skinned, very pretty almost. She said, the thing is that their eyes, though, she said it was just something wrong about their eyes. She said she couldn't really remember if they were a certain color. She said, but everything else looked innocuous, but their eyes were just wrong. Their look was just wrong. And they asked her for a ride home. And she was battling this instinct of, yes, take them home, get them home because it's almost midnight. But she said as soon as she saw their eyes, she had this primal, primal instinct of absolute terror. Get out. Do not talk to them anymore. Do not let them in. Get out. Leave. And she said they kept insisting. They were very insistent on, we need a ride home. Please take us home. Please take us home. And she said they were unnaturally calm. But she said as soon as she saw their eyes and the fear she got, 
she booked it out of there and just left them there because she was like, I have never felt that kind of primal fear with children. So the biggest reason why this kind of shocked me is because my mom is from Mexico. She was born there and she had never heard of the black eyed children. She'd never heard of any of the urban legends or creepypastas or anything about them. So she had no idea what she had encountered when she told me this story. And when I told her everything about that, she kept describing the details almost exactly to what the legends usually tell about the black eyed children. So there's really not a way that my mom could have been just making it up to give me a good story because my mom had no idea what black eyed children even were. So yeah, I don't know what was wrong with those children, but there was something not right about three kids that looked like that with those eyes just walking around at a Walmart parking lot close to midnight. Anyways, I thought it was an amazing story and my mom was absolutely fascinated when I told her that I was going to call it in to Monsters Among Us. But you're doing a great job, Derek. I love the podcast. Can't wait for new episodes every week. And thanks for the call. Thank you, Leslie, for calling in. The Black Eyed Children Now, we've undoubtedly discussed these doll-eyed deviants in the past. In fact, you might even recall on Season 11, Episode 2, I played the following sound, claimed by at least one individual, to attract these infamous B.E.K. Be sure to turn up your speakers. We want to make sure they can hear you. you can't tell. I'm not putting a ton of stock in this B.E.K. tone or whatever it is you'd like to call it. But it is a fun addition to the lore. Nah, if these entities are indeed real and genuine, I think they're more like our friends the mirrored men. And that you don't attract them. They don't hunt you down. You simply stumble upon them. Then later, You wish that you hadn't. But unlike the predictable conclusion of most mirrored men encounters, we don't typically seem to know what happens when someone does invite one of these dark-eyed entities inside. Well, that is until now. It took me a spell, but I managed to find an example of someone doing just that and living to tell the tale. If only, just barely. And you know, the info comes to us via a trusted source in the matter, and the man that literally wrote the book on the subject. Friend of the show, David Weatherly. Here he is on Jeff Belanger's 30-odd-minute cable access program, discussing that harrowing experience. A woman who had her 10-year-old son with her in her vehicle stopped at a convenience store 
she ran inside by herself and left her child outside. And when she came back out, she jumped in the car, threw her milk and bread on the seat and started the engine. Autopilot, just looking in the rearview mirror and staring back at her was a young boy with solid black eyes. She had instant fear, uh, instant terror reaction. She jumped out of the car, yanked her son out, and went back inside. And, uh, of course, the, the black-eyed child ended up vanishing. As the story unfolded, she learned that her son had, in fact, invited this child in. Now, he was just seeing a potential playmate. He didn't think there was any harm in this. So you can't really blame the child. However, the circumstances that unfolded after that encounter were pretty sad. The husband ended up driving the vehicle home. He came to to meet his wife at the store. She was just too shaken up to even drive her own car. So uh, he took her vehicle, went to drive home, and was in an accident and totaled the vehicle. Uh, The young boy who had direct contact with this black-eyed child became very ill. In fact, the doctors could not determine what was wrong with this uh, little boy because his symptoms constantly changed. They thought he had the flu. They thought he had a stomach virus. He, he suddenly broke out. They thought he had the measles. They thought he had appendicitis. And this went on for weeks. They, they couldn't treat him because they couldn't diagnose him. And the mother firmly believes that what, she, what they encountered was something demonic. It took uh, just a lot of attention, a lot of time, and, and some clergy praying over the boy and family members attending to him, but he eventually recovered. Now, be sure to check out David's book, Black-Eyed Children, if you're looking for deeper meaning in all these sightings. He offers up a number of different theories and tons of other examples. And that's spooky stuff for sure, Leslie. I can't explain any of it, but I will admit, I'm thoroughly fascinated. So thank you again for sharing the entry. Now, folks, if you're sitting on a story... A true story. Send it on in. Our hotline is open 24-7, 365. And it's completely free. At least here in the United States. 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-N-I-G-H-T. And listen, if you're sitting on any mirrored men activity, please do me a favor and shoot that in as well. I promised I'd do my best to bring more of those calls here to the program. Now another thing I promised was more ghostly calls. So here to help plump those numbers up is Ashland from Parts Unknown. Hi Derek, my name is Ashland. I've called I think one other time and I love the show. I just wanted to share a story Um, Back in 2016, I graduated, I think it was the end of May, and I'm originally from Utah, so I was in Utah at the time, and my aunt and uncle, they live in Texas, and they contacted me and they asked if I would come, like, nanny, babysit their kids for, like, two weeks while they went away on a trip, and this was going to be in November, so I was like, yeah, sure. So I flew out there all by myself. This is like one of the first times I was going to be away from home without adult supervision or like any adults around for a few days. So I went and there are three kids, two boys and a girl. The two boys are younger and they will sleep in the same room. In this house that I was in, um, it was pretty large. It had two levels, but it was very spacious, very open inside the home. 
um, and I was going to be sleeping downstairs in the master bedroom, and all three of them are upstairs. So the first day there, by myself, I kind of was getting like weird vibes from the closet in the boys' bedroom. They both had twin beds, and then at the foot of one of the beds was a closet. It was kind of a walk-in closet, just a single door that you open and close, normal. And the light switch, I believe, was on the inside of the closet, just like right as you walk in there, it's off to your right. So I remember trying to like get the boys ready in the closet. Like if my back was to the closet, it just freaked me out. And it just felt like it was just looming. So <laughs> the first night I was putting him to sleep and I was, I was having a really hard time getting him to get to sleep. So Ellie, the oldest child, she came in and she was laying by one of the boys and I was by the other boy. And we were just trying to get him to calm down with sleep. And we were both laying there kind of looking towards the closet. The door was shut. I always shut that door. But then we saw the light like flicker a few times. And I like looked at her and I whispered. She was only like eight or nine at the time. I was like, did you? And she was like, let's not talk about it. And we like ran out of the room. Like the boys were asleep and we just booked it out of the room. And I felt kind of bad leaving them in there, but I wasn't sure what was going on. So just over the span of the next few days, I tried to keep an eye on the closet. And whenever I did have to go in the room, which I made it as limited as possible, always make sure I knew whether it was open or closed when I left. And, you know, usually the kids were not with me. They'd go to school most of the day, and so I was just there by myself. And I, I kind of got the sense that the closet would just be open or shut randomly, and the lights were flickering several times in there, and then the garage light actually went out. I don't know if it burnt out or what, but it just went out. And so all these things together, and like I wasn't able to sleep at night, and the kids were just really stressing me out. And I got this sense that this closet was haunted, right? And I swear it would just be open whenever I went up there. And I was always shutting it. And um, I'd always ask the boys, I think, so there's Connor. He was about, I think he was five or six. And Henry was like three, three or four. And I would ask them all the time, did you, did you open the closet? Um, have you been playing in the closet? And they would just tell me no. Um, so immediately I was like, oh my gosh, haunted. I'm here by myself with these kids. What's going to happen? And it was so scary. So I never went upstairs after a few days. Like if I could avoid it at all costs, I would. Um, going in the garage freaked me out because the light, like I said, went off. And I just felt like someone was always looking over my shoulder. And in the end... I was just relieved to go home, but all these stressful events just added on top of each other. And I've always been really paranoid about things. So I think my own mind was just playing tricks on me. That's why I wanted to share this story is I've always kind of hoped for a paranormal experience to happen, but I don't think I've really ever had anything obvious happen to me before. So I don't know for sure if this thing was real or not but I will tell you it was very scary and I was terrified so anyways if you can't use those three it's fine I just thought I'd share with you so thanks for the show I love it I've been binge listening for the past you know few months um that I've started so 
Yeah, thanks for all you do. Thank you, Ashland. You know, as a collector of stories, I can't help but wish I had a chance to hear from those children. You know, if Ashland experienced all that in such a short period of time, imagine all that those children went through over the years. And while I'm making wishes, I wish I knew why closets always seem to be the epicenter of a majority of this paranormal activity. If I didn't know any better, I'd almost say closets act as some sort of portal or gateway. But having only anecdotal evidence as proof of that concept, it's merely a guess at this stage. But one thing I do know for sure is this. Ashland's wasn't the first call to detail a frightening closet space, and it certainly won't be the last. But we thank you for sharing that experience. Well, we've gone from black-eyed kids to haunted closets. Now we cast our gaze skyward, because Audrey in Oklahoma is a story for us. Hey, Derek, this is Audrey from Oklahoma calling back. I have a couple of UFO stories this time, and both of them happened with my best friend. She was with me for both of them. The first one happened when we were camping in the Lincoln National Forest in New Mexico. It was late April of 2021. We were sitting around the campfire, just sitting, talking, and she looked up and said, what is that? And we saw two lights flashing on and off, not in sync. One would flash off, the other would flash off. They would do it together. They would do it two times in a row and then the other one. So there was no real pattern to the flashing. And as they would flash, they would get further apart, closer together, further apart, closer together, and it was like they were chasing each other through the sky. And eventually they just went behind a cloud and we couldn't see them anymore. And that one, we thought could maybe have been drones, could have been something. We were about a mile from Alamogordo Air Force Base, but I have lived a mile from Air Force Base my entire life, and I have never seen anything like that. Planes obviously don't move like that, and That's not what their lights look like at all. And it was way too high in the sky to be planes, we thought, which would also mean it was too high for drones. I don't know. That was our explanation for that one. And our second one, we couldn't come up with anything. It was in October of 2021. We were at the drive-in movie theater in Tulsa, and we saw a shape in the sky that was a triangle that had a bit of an indention at the bottom of the triangle. And it was just kind of floating. And it had light. The light was almost like a reflection more than a light. The best way I can describe it is it had a gold light that looked almost like a, like the veins of a leaf. And it was just kind of floating. And we could see the stars behind it when it passed through stars. And then it just kind of dissipated. And that drive-in movie theater is also right by the Tulsa airport, but it is so close to the Tulsa airport that you can see the landing gear of the plane. They're almost landing when they're there. So there's no way you could mistake it for a plane. And that looked nothing like a plane, definitely not a passenger plane. So those are my two UFO stories. Like I said, they both happened with my best friend, the same girl, and she saw the same things as me. 
And I don't know, let me know if you have any other explanations. Bye. Thank you, Audrey. Now, you know, I've been racking my brain trying to come up with another Oklahoma UFO run-in. And my mind is drawing a bit of a blank. I can't think of a single high-profile sighting abduction crash. Nothing like that in a Sooner State. But I did poke around a little bit, and I found a survey conducted only six months ago that lists the number of UFO sightings per state, according to the National UFO Reporting Center. And the usual suspects are at the top. California, Florida, Washington, and Texas. Then the bottom, you have Wyoming, Delaware, South Dakota, and North Dakota. And right around the middle there, you have the state of Oklahoma, coming in at number 30 with states like Utah, New Mexico, Alabama, and Idaho. So as far as Oklahoma UFO sightings are concerned, they're not at the top, and they're certainly not at the bottom. But as much as I would like to put some stock in that little poll, I simply can't. And I'll tell you why. In my opinion, polls like this are only representative of a population and not an actual activity. Look, you need two things in order for a UFO sighting to occur. You need a UFO and you need a person to see it. So essentially what I'm saying is that the number of sightings per state seems to correlate with the population of that state. Here, allow me to demonstrate. Remember I said California, Florida, Washington, and Texas were at the top of the UFO popularity list. Well, California, Texas, and Florida have the highest populations in the country. And do you recall me saying that Wyoming, Delaware, South Dakota, and North Dakota came in at the bottom of that list? Well, they also populate the bottom of the population list as well. All four fall in the bottom six for total population. And just in case you're not quite convinced, Utah, New Mexico, Alabama, and Idaho were 28, 29, 31, and 32 respectively on the UFO list, while their number 30, 36, 24, and 38 respectfully in population. Not an exact match, but close enough that I think it proves my point. As fun as these polls are on the surface, they're really just glorified population polls. I know, big bummer. Anyhow, that little detour aside, we do appreciate the entry, Audrey. And we'll be sure to keep our eyes out for Oklahoma UFOs here coming in the future. Thanks for calling in. Mr. Pop. Now, spring and summer for us consist of a lot of camping trips, nights outside by the fire pit. Essentially, a lot more time is spent with friends and family. Now, whether we're meeting up for something spontaneous or we're expecting visitors to our cabin, we always want to make sure we have a great wine on hand, which is where First Leaf comes in. Tonight's show is sponsored by America's most personalized wine company, First Leaf. Now, I'm in no way a wine expert, and First Leaf takes the guesswork out of choosing an awesome wine. Everything we've received so far has been award-winning, and we would never have known to try them otherwise. But we're sure glad we did. It's easy. You just take a short quiz online about your likes and dislikes, and they send you a box of wine selected specifically for you. Straight. 
to your door. Now, when you rate the wines they sent, your taste profile becomes even more customized and accurate. And each bottle is discounted and backed by First Leaf's satisfaction guarantee. I love sharing great wine with my friends and family, and I know you will too. So give First Leaf a try. Head over to tryfirstleaf.com forward slash MAU to sign up and save 50% off your first six bottles plus free shipping. That's T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F.com forward slash M-A-U to save 50% off your first six bottles plus free shipping. Tryfirstleaf.com forward slash M-A-U. Now supporting our sponsors helps support the show. So thanks for listening and back to that strange footprint you found in your flower bed. Now, for the second time this evening, we find ourselves in the state of Texas. This time, Claire is here with a shadowy entry. Good evening, Claire. Good evening, Derek. I'm a huge fan, longtime listener. I've been listening from the onset, and I just want to say that I admire how far you've come from the ambience of the show to being on Paranormal Caught on Camera. It's been amazing to see your progression. I'll tell anyone who's willing to listen about your podcast. By far, it's one of my faves. With that being said, it's been a long time coming that I call in with my own experiences. I originally sought out your type of show because I've had paranormal things happen to me, and I've been told that I might have medium capabilities. I don't know how true that is, nor have I ever tried to pursue that further because of my profession. And the fact that my stories give context of where I live, I'm going to go by the alias of Claire. The story I'm calling in with today is the most recent paranormal thing that happened to me and is the creepiest pasta I've experienced because my dog witnessed it too. This took place just a few months ago in February in San Antonio, Texas. My husband typically does hard labor in construction or landscaping, and needless to say, in the winter months, his work isn't very consistent. Luckily, he's a jack-of-all-trades, and he used to have his own tailoring business. Now, we mention this to family and friends anytime we can, and during the winter, a family member presented us with an opportunity we couldn't pass up, a free sewing machine, or so we thought. This family member had just purchased a home the lady who passed away in the home either didn't have family nearby or maybe no one wanted to do the work but the house was fully furnished and it had some amazing antique furniture i'm talking grandfather clocks china cabinets a baby grand piano and this particular sewing machine we talked it over agreed it was a blessing and agreed to take it off their hands so the morning that a cold front was coming in we went to go pick it up We live in a small one-bedroom, 600-square-foot apartment and struggled to find enough space to put it, but ultimately decided to place it in the corner of our bedroom. The machine is probably circa 1980s, 1990s. It's heavy wooden and has a hideaway pocket, so if you look at it closed, it just looks like a desk. Once you open the flap, the machine pops up and out of the center. Even creepier, all the belongings were still in it. My husband was excited to tinker with it, so that afternoon he tested it out. That night as we're getting ready for bed, he tells me, 
You know, whoever owned this sewing machine before was a legitimate dressmaker. It wasn't just their hobby, it was their passion. He shows me the contents and it's full of silk threads, intricate buttons, industrial needles, machine scissors, and sewing patterns. So I replied, yeah, well, at least it's no longer just sitting there and it's being used by someone who knows what they're doing and can appreciate it. We thought nothing of it and decided to go to bed. Now, remember I told you there was a cold front coming in? Well, I admitted to listen to the weather anchor and covered the pipes, left the cupboard open under the sink, and opened our bedroom door so that the heat can flow through. Leaving the bedroom door open is something I never do. I've always just felt safer with it closed. Let me introduce my dog, Zoe. Zoe and I have a bond not even my hubby can break. I've had her for nine years and I rescued her from a shelter just before she was about to be euthanized. She was there through a rough breakup when we almost went homeless, way before I married my hubby. We've been through a lot together. She's my ride or die. She typically sleeps on her own bed but lies on the ground on my side of the bed. Well, I guess she must have been cold that night because she hopped in our bed and whenever she does, she chooses to sleep behind my knees. I'm an extremely light side sleeper, so I was frustrated and started tossing and opened my eyes because I heard her growling. And you know that feeling when you feel like someone is staring at you and you look up and someone is? Well, when I opened my eyes, I saw a dark shadow figure hovering over the bed on my side. I couldn't tell if my eyes were playing tricks on me. And once I came to and realized I was really seeing something, I gasped. This next part happened within mere seconds. As I gasp, Zoe hears me, opens her eyes and sees what I see. She immediately goes into attack mode and chases this thing out of the room. So whatever it is, goes from hovering over us down to the side of the bed and out the front door. Now remember I said my bedroom door was open? Our apartment is so small from my spot on the bed, you can see a beeline over the kitchen island and to the front door. I see this thing pass through the kitchen island and through the front door. Zoe just after it and is pissed. She's in attack mode, snarling, jumping and scratching at the door. I look at the clock on the stove and it's three something in the morning. I try to calm her down as to not wake the neighbors. Turn on all the lights wake up my husband. He's totally sound asleep, but slowly waking up and annoyed Zoe is barking. I wake him up and tell him he needs to check the apartment because we saw someone in it. He hesitantly gets up, walks around the apartment, says he sees nothing and goes back to bed. It takes a while to calm Zoe down. And of course, I can't sleep after that, so I sit on the couch the remainder of the night with Zoe by my side and don't fall back asleep till the sun comes up. I haven't been able to stop thinking about this experience. I've had things happen to me, but never have I seen a shadow man. And honestly, I wouldn't even call it a man. It was humanoid shaped, but I couldn't make out legs or arms or any sexual orientation. I remember as it passed through the objects, it kind of floated like a dark cloud, but I could definitely still see its shape. It had mass, kind of like a dark black gas. And here's the last thing. As Zoe chased it off of us, I heard a voice say, she's protected. Later that day, I said a prayer and saved the apartment. I prayed that if the machine is truly a financial blessing, 
sacred to only allow good energy to flow in. I'm not sure my husband totally believes me, but he didn't want to give up the machine. Nothing has happened since then, and it actually has been a source of secondary income for us. Even if no one else believes, Zoe and I definitely know we saw something that night. Anyways, thanks for your patience in listening to my long-winded story. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Thanks again for all you do. You're so entertaining. I call in with more stories from San Antonio. No, I appreciate those kind words, Claire. And if Claire is willing to tell anyone who will listen to check us out, maybe you would be as well. Do you, me, and the rest of the audience a favor and share the show with anyone that'll give you their ear. Share something about it on social media. Wear your merchandise in public and dare people to ask you about it. Or simply just play an episode really, really loud in a crowded space. Maybe not do that last one. The point being, doing what Claire is doing is a monumental help to the show. So we appreciate it and we hope that this whole sharing thing is contagious. So back to Claire's entry here. She's talking about a cursed or haunted sewing machine, right? That might be a new one for me. I've heard of all sorts of hexed items, but I've never heard of a haunted sewing machine. Also, I will say, it's one thing to wake up and hear or feel something strange in your bedroom. A sound. A light. A presence. But it's a completely different thing when your pet wakes up and sees it as well. That sort of thing will chill your blood in a hurry. So a huge thanks to you, Claire, for being brave enough to share the call here with us. And speaking of things that chill your blood, how about when you wake up to hear a toy saying things that it simply shouldn't or couldn't? Well, that's exactly what happened to Hannah out of Wisconsin. And here she is with that spooky experience. Hey Derek, my name is Hannah, I'm calling from Wisconsin. been listening to your podcast for a bit now, and the first episode that I heard, I instantly thought of the story, kind of just been building up the courage to call it in. So I call this my butterfly toy story. So I was probably around seven years old, and my youngest sister was a newborn, and ever since I've been young, I've always stayed up late. <laughs> and I don't know why. So this was just another night. I was out in the living room, laying on the couch, trying to fall asleep, and my baby sister had this toy that was a butterfly, and when he moved the wings, it would make different noises. So I heard it go off, and it was this creepy giggle, and that was like the one noise that I hated out of the sequence. So I kind of opened my eyes and I thought that maybe my baby sister was awake in her crib and she was just playing with the toy because it sounded like it was coming from her room. Then I hear it go off again and I hear the giggle again, which is weird because every time you move the wings, the sound was different. It had like a five or six sound sequence. So I was extra creeped out because I heard the giggle a second time and it sounded like it was closer. Then I hear it go off again, the giggle the third time, and it sounds like it's right by me. So I quick shoot up 
sit on the couch and I look down and it's on the floor right next to the couch where I've been laying. And I know for a fact that if it would have gone off laying right there, I would have noticed that. The first time it definitely sounded like it was across our apartment and it sounded like it got closer. So I don't really know what time it was. It was a long time ago. This was probably like 2005, 2006. Yeah, I lived in an apartment. There was nothing really else that happened that night other than that. The next day I did play with the toy and mess with the wings to make the noises and it never giggled multiple times in a row ever since that time. And I may or may not have secretly thrown it away without my parents knowing. So yeah, I don't know if there's anything that you can think of that would do this. I'd love to hear your comments. I have no idea. I just tell myself that it's my sister that had passed while she was still in my mom's womb. Whenever stuff happens, I just, I don't know, I get feeling that it's her. So I just thought that maybe she was playing a trick on me, but I don't know. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you and keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, Anna. You know, dying batteries do funny things to electronics. And if that distinct giggle or laugh was the first sound on a series of pre-programmed sounds, perhaps a constant interruption of power, i.e. the dying or perhaps loose batteries, could cause that cycle to default back to the beginning, each and every time, creating that creepy little giggle. Now, of course, I'm no electrical engineer by any means, so take all of that with a grain of salt. But thank you again, Hannah, for sharing that story. Well, coincidentally, these last few submitters have very similar sounding names. A complete accident on my part. I realized the connection much too late to rectify it. So we're just going to kind of go with it. You'll see exactly what I mean after we hear from Christy over in Illinois. Hello, Mr. Hayes. My name is Christy. I am from Illinois. And I know you get a ton of ghost stories, but here's my entry. This was 2001. Still resided with my mother, and she had a uh, one of the old shotgun homes, you know, where you can look in the front door and then look out the back door at the opposite end of the house. And the kitchen was linoleum, and it flowed a little bit of the linoleum into the living room. If you turned right, you went down a hallway, and in the first room on the right in the hallway was the bathroom. I was in high school, and during high school, I was a competitive weightlifter, and I was in track and field. So in the afternoons, I had a short period of time after school where I could come home, shower, eat, get redressed, go do sports things after. Well, I came home one afternoon. It was sunny outside. There wasn't very much wind. There was not a forecast of rain or thunderstorms, nothing of the sort. I came home. I jumped in the bath because my muscles were sore. I had another weightlifting workout that afternoon, and I, I just needed warm on the muscle. Well, I no sooner got in the tub and got relaxed. I had a 
book that I played on a, one of those old MP3 players. I'm sure we all remember those. And I heard the back door open. I heard footsteps go through the kitchen and into the living room. I made the assumption that it was my mother because she was working at the time and I just thought she had come home early for whatever reason. So I called out to her and I let her know that I was in the bathroom, that I would be done in a few minutes because I had another workout that I had to be to shortly. I did not receive a response. I searched through the house. I did not see her. So I thought maybe she had just exited the home again and I just didn't hear the door close. So I went into my bedroom, which my door was directly across from the bathroom. I went into my bedroom to change into my workout clothes. I heard the back door open again. I again heard the footsteps into the kitchen, into the hallway. I heard the footsteps past my bedroom, and I called out to my mother again and received no response. So, in some of my clothing, but curiosity trumps uh, pride, I think. I walked out of my bedroom, searched the house, nobody there. I went to the back door. It was still locked. My mother's car was not there. Nothing had been disturbed. I, to this day, have no idea what it was. I would be more than happy for an explanation. It was definitely creepy and very spooky. It happened more than one time, and it happened to other people that would visit my home. My mother complained of the same thing. She also complained about people knocking on her windows, her bedroom windows, on the kitchen window, uh, knocking on the door, nobody would be there. And this was obviously pre-ring doorbell. Uh, if I had friends stay over in the night, they would complain about hearing uh, random footsteps or voices in the kitchen, uh, just all kinds of things. Uh, another one is that they too would hear both the front and back door open and shut. Uh, they would get up and look. Nobody would be there. The doors would still be locked. The houses on either side of us were greater than 15 feet away. We had a driveway on either side of us, plus yard to get to the next house. So, you know, nobody, they were elderly anyway, so they weren't throwing crazy parties or anything like that. It was a quiet little residential elderly neighborhood. Um, that's not the only creepy thing that happened in that house certainly not the most visible, but it was auditory, and I hope you enjoy. Have a great day. Now, as I'd mentioned previously, things are about to get a little coincidental here in the back half. Thank you, Christy in Illinois, and welcome Krista from Illinois. Hi, Derek. My name is Krista, and I'm from Southern Illinois. My whole life I've been experiencing paranormal stuff. It started when I was younger. My dad had a trailer that my aunt had owned previously, and she would hear children running up and down the hallway, but there was no kids there. When she moved out and we moved into the home, I didn't have the same happy experience she did. I always felt like an evil presence was in there. So when I was younger, I would go to sleep and wake up, and I would have bugs all over me. Like, I could feel them, I could see them, and I would flip the light on, and nothing would be there. But a reoccurring incident from that house 
was I would go to sleep at night and wake up because I would feel like there was something or someone watching me. And I would sit up in my bunk bed on the top and there was this figure standing in my doorway. And he was almost as big as the doorway itself, tall and wide. So I'd say about seven feet tall, at least. And he was always wrapped up like in black bandage wrap where you could only see his eyes and they were glowing red. And it would always scare me and I'd pull the covers up over my head and I could still feel his presence. And I would go back to sleep even though I was scared because there was nothing I could do. And in the morning he would be gone. So one night I got tired of it. And when he showed up, I got out of bed and walked up to him, which luckily was right by my light switch. And I could hear him breathing. And all I could say is, you're not real, you're not real. And I flipped the light switch on and he went away. And this is going to be like a composite of a bunch of different paranormal stuff because in that same house where I grew up, my uncle had passed and I was very upset that he was gone. He had died of cancer. So that night I went home and went to sleep. I woke up because once again, I could feel something there and it was my uncle, but he was dressed in all white. It was like a glow not like angel wings or anything like that, but a glowing white presence. And I can't remember what we talked about, but all I know the next day I wasn't sad anymore. So he had helped me. So fast forward to being at my aunt's house. I don't know if it liked to follow me because my aunt's house was very close to my dad's, but I could see something in her house as well but I could never catch quite what it was. And we moved into a new home recently, me and my husband and my two kids. And I could feel something in the house. I can't catch what it is, but it's not like an evil spirit. It's happy and it protects the home. We had a tree in the backyard and we had been cleaning up this house because they left it in rough condition. It wasn't bad, but it needed a lot of work. So we fixed it up, and the house just felt happier. We had a storm, and a tree branch broke and just clipped the side of the house. We still don't know how it missed it because it was right above our house, but somehow it missed it. And we've had some pretty bad storms in southern Illinois recently, and the same thing happened. A big, huge limb broke off the back of the house, and it missed. So I'm very happy. I call it the house spirit. So I'm very happy that we have the house spirit, but I have been in tune with the paranormal basically my whole life. I can just feel stuff. But I love your podcast, and I hope you can use this. And have a good day. Thank you both, ladies. Strange sounds from throughout the house. A blackened, red-eyed mummy. Something strange is afoot in the land of Lincoln, methinks. If you find yourself in the state of Illinois, keep your eyes peeled. And thank you both for submitting those entries. Now then, please join me in welcoming Elizabeth from Oregon. 
through the program. Hey, Derek. My name's Elizabeth, and I'm calling in with a story that uh, popped into my head after hearing this latest Moab one that you dropped to kind of fill the gap before your new season starts. And there was a story on there about a guy who, like, ran into, like, this tree in the woods with this big rock in it, and you confused him as, like, how that rock could have gotten up in that tree. I used to be a firefighter, and gosh, I'm trying to remember exactly where this happened, and it's a little murky because all those fires kind of blend together that you're on. I'm pretty sure it was in Oregon, and that it was in northeastern Oregon, but that's the part that's most frustrating is because I wish I could remember exactly where it was. And so, we were on this fire, the fire was pretty much out, so we were kind of in this stage where you just kind of walk in the lines and making sure nothing flares up again. If you see smoke, you're supposed to go and check on it. And so there was a smoke happening interior on the fire, and so we hiked out to go check it out. It was probably just like a tree that ended up torching off or something that had kind of flared up. But they didn't have, like, helicopters or anything left on the fire, so we had to hike out there. So it was this big, pretty ambitious hike that we had to go to check out this smoke that was rising. And on our way out to the section of the fire we kind of like bumped up onto this ridge line and we we're walking along this ridge line and we came upon this like opening area where there were these three trees that had been cut down and very like odd location for just like someone to randomly come to cut three trees down like it was just a very strange like I don't know who or when someone would have wanted to walk all the way up there in the middle and literally like nowhere to go cut these three trees down. But these stumps were old. They hadn't been cut recently by any means. But the weirdest part was on the top of each one of these stumps was a gigantic boulder, like huge boulder. You know, I was like with five people and all of us were just, baffled we just could not figure it out like it was very strange it looked kind of ritualistic like they're in this triangle you know the trees happened to be in this triangle shape and the stumps were not cut like a logger would cut loggers would cut like as low to the ground as possible to get as much board feet as possible and these were cut like above waist height like it was like this strange high stump that, like, someone really tall would have had to have cut. And then on each one of those stumps were these giant rocks that, you know, there's some big strapping dudes on the crew that were just like, I have no way that we could move these. Even, like, a couple of them, like, working together, I mean, it would be, be very difficult and hazardous to be trying to get that size rock up on that height of stump. So it was very strange. We were all perplexed all super kind of creeped out, honestly. You know, this was probably in, like, 2005 or 2006, and, yeah, I wish I'd had a camera or some one of us had had a camera to take a picture of it or, you know, if someone's feeling incredibly adventurous in, like, the Hell's Canyon area, I mean, it'd be a total goose chase. But, anyway, it'd be so crazy to go try and find it again, but it was a very bizarre thing to stumble upon in the middle of nowhere out there, and we all collectively agreed that it was bizarre, and we had no easy answer for how it went down, especially, too. There was, like, 
no real like big rocks or anything right around there either and it was at the kind of top of this ridge so you would have had to like carry those huge rocks up that hill so anyway it was totally bizarre and i hope you can use the story all right love the show thanks bye thank you elizabeth i would have to agree that is an odd thing to stumble upon in a forest i imagine witnessing something like that could make one feel pretty small but who would do such a thing and why well believe it or not rocks resting on stumps is an older method of marking trailheads boundaries summits etc but of course boulders the size of what elizabeth detailed would require some sort of heavy equipment to move in position and sure i could see an ornery excavator or dozer operator leaving a few rocks like that for shits and giggles as my grandma used to say which would suggest to me that perhaps loggers could be responsible but you know i didn't hear elizabeth describe seeing tracks or a roadway where this equipment could have accessed this remote site so perhaps that's not exactly what happened here and rocks don't grow on trees right well it turns out they do in southern indiana gobbler's rock it's in brown county about 50 miles south of indianapolis 8 years ago a turkey hunter in yellowwood state forest happened to look up into an oak tree and he saw a gigantic boulder wedged 40 feet up in the branches since then it's become something of a local legend it's 400 pounds i mean we tried to lift it and you just don't lift it it is an extremely heavy heavy rock and because it's so high up that's the legend how did it get there what are some of the theories about that well some of the theories are it it lodged itself in there when the tree was very small and as the tree grew you know the rock kind of grew up into the tree but those theories have kind of had pins poked at it because a small tree couldn't hold that big a rock yeah um another theory is tornadoes it kind of landed in there due to some windstorms coming through and then there's theories that a ufo came and dropped it and then you know people climbing trees and and putting it up there but the weight of the rock itself would make that almost impossible now that clip courtesy of npr and sadly gobbler's rock and the tree that it resided in fell in 2006 but you can catch a peek of a photo i left one over in the show notes along with the full npr story but i must confess all this talk of moving boulders as my mind focused on our furry friend bigfoot sasquatch mr foot as his kids friends call him there are reports of sasquatch like creatures throwing rocks stones boulders and all sorts of heavy items i've heard it all pebbles raining down on cabin rooftops small stones launched at researchers from thick brush a large rock tossed at an oncoming atv and look if you don't believe me that's fine maybe you should ask those boys up in ape canyon seems they took the brunt of that sort of action 
1924, gold prospectors flocked to the slopes of Mount St. Helens, hoping to strike it rich. But a few of them encounter something else hidden in the volcano's thick forest. According to reports, five men find a promising spot along a treacherous slope, where they build a cabin and establish a small gold mining operation. But one day, they claim to spot a frightening figure across the canyon. Standing at nearly seven feet tall with blackish-brown hair, the men shoot at the creature, but it disappears into the woods. The miners are so unnerved by what they see, they agree to abandon the cabin at first light. But in the dead of night, the cabin reportedly comes under siege, bombarded by rocks. The miners catch a glimpse of their attackers, which appear to be large, bipedal primates. The miners shoot in defense, but the assault rages on through the night. At first light, the five men flee the cabin. Back in town, their story becomes front-page news, and the remote gorge where the incident allegedly took place becomes known as Ape Canyon. Now I heard the next morning they estimated that two ton of rock had rained down on the cabin that night. And you know the episode that clip was taken from of Discovery's Expedition X is some of the best coverage I've seen of that infamous canyon. They even employed the help of Mark Marcel, the leading researcher in this 99-year-old case. So if you have Discovery Plus or whatever, go check it out. But in reality, Elizabeth, I have no idea. In cases like this, I'm prone to think that humans somehow did it. The method might not always be obvious, but that doesn't mean it wasn't easy. But that's that. It sure is a lot of fun to imagine giants out there setting all this up. Thank you again, Elizabeth, for taking the time to share that entry. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes, Delaney Bowers, Anna Parsons, and Addie Lloyd. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And if you find yourself on the internet, why not give us a like and follow over to our social media accounts? Go ahead and do the same at YouTube while you're at it. And while you're online goofing around, leave us a rate and review wherever that sort of thing is possible. Finally, tonight's score was provided by Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, Co.AG Music, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for giving me your ear. And do what you can to keep it spooky out there. I'll catch you guys next week. Have a good night.
Now, tonight's bonus entry is very topical for this upcoming holiday weekend. For those of you with offspring tuning in, you might want to use caution on this next entry. I wouldn't want to shatter any holiday illusions or beliefs that may still be intact. Now, for an incredible story about none other than the Easter Bunny. Please welcome another Elizabeth. I told you there were some coincidences in this back half. And get this. She's also from the state of Oregon. Hi, this is Elizabeth from Portland, Oregon. I have something on the lines of the Easter Bunny story. This story is actually my son's. One year, it was 1993, I believe, it was Easter weekend, and we had just moved from an apartment to a house, sort of off the main drag of Portland, right off 82nd Avenue. And my husband and I, at the time, ex-husband, had no time to get our son an Easter basket or anything else. So we went to bed that night, and I kind of worried about it, but I just figured, okay, well, we'll find him some Easter treats in the morning. So that morning, we woke up, and my son was kind of excited, and, and he said, Mom, look on the porch. And, okay, and there's an Easter basket on the porch. It looked like one that had come from a store. And I brought it in, and, and he was all excited, and he said, the Easter bunny brought it. I saw him. I said, what do you mean the Easter Bunny brought it? He said he got up about 6 o'clock in the morning, and it being early spring, you know, it, it was light out, and he saw across the street what looked to be a bunny, a human-sized bunny over 6 feet tall, he said. He was gray and white, rather like Bugs Bunny, and he had a large basket full of baskets he was holding and he was casually hopping down the street towards the main drag he swears to this day that it happened that the easter bunny brought him a basket now i contacted our relatives all over town and no one had brought an easter basket so as far as i know the easter bunny is real and he brought my son an easter basket so, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Elizabeth. Now, I promise I didn't set any of these up. I selected these calls based on subject matter alone, and not the submitter's name. Truly a coincidence that I thought was too neat to rectify. And you know, the coincidences don't end there. By chance, Elizabeth called in from the city of Portland, Oregon with her mysterious bunny story. Well, that is very reminiscent of a legend out of a, another Portland. Portland, Dorset, England, and their infamous aversion to the word rabbit. You see, the Isle of Portland is well known for its disgust of the word rabbit. In fact, it's considered taboo or bad luck to even say the word out loud. According to legends shared by quarry workers in the area, Rabbits would emerge from their burrows immediately before rock falls, which would sometimes turn into devastating and deadly landslides. If rabbits were seen, workers would end their tasks immediately and head home for the day. The sentiments there are so strong that it altered a Hollywood movie title. 
In October of 2005, the production company behind the film, Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit, were made aware of local folklore and changed the movie's title to include the animal. I'm not sure what is more strange. The number of coincidences here in this back half or this odd rabbit aversion in the Isle of Portland. Regardless, it's amazing stuff and we thank you, Elizabeth, for sharing it here with us. And you know, folks, that marks the end of this journey. Of course, a few of us are going to trudge on ahead. And you're welcome to join if you'd like. Just visit us over at MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com and click the Patreon tab. Or search us out on Patreon.com directly. The $5 pledge and up gets you access to the Beyond episode that lay before us here tonight. And many, many more. So visit the site, pledge, and join us. Now for those of you already on that journey, let us continue. Beginning with a doppelganger story from a bit of a different angle. Here is Donald, out of South Carolina, with his tale. Hey, Derek, this is Donald Colin from South Carolina again. I have an interesting story that happened actually the weekend that Don Candy died. Some friends of mine and myself were camping in the Catskills. I'm originally from New York City area. We were up in the Catskills camping, hanging out, having a good time. We decided one day, because it was just so cold, we went to a diner to have breakfast or lunch or something. And we all of a sudden hear some ladies saying, Vern, Vernon, where are you, Vernon? 